Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So it's absolutely pouring down here. Um, I'm currently in Devon uh, before we head to Sweden in December. And it's just been raining nonstop, which I love. I love autumnal weather. But um, you might hear it because it's really, really heavy. So today is a really special episode because my mentor, so the woman who kind of coached me through my coaching training and then um, kind of, I don't know what the word is, took my final exam, uh, Susan Clinton is joining us today. And Susan is a board certified women's health physical therapist. She's a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Therapy. She's a board certified health and wellness coach. And she is a master coach at the Integrative Women's Health Institute where I trained, hence why she ended up being my coach and mentor. Um, And those are just some of the hats that Susan wears. I highly encourage you to go and check out her work um, because she's just a wonder woman and she's doing some really, really great work in the world. But in today's episode, Susan and I are really zooming in to one specific topic, even though she works in so many different amazing areas, we are talking about endometriosis and menopause and how to experience a better one. So in this episode, we're talking about the difference between natural menopause and surgically or medically induced menopause, which some of you may have gone through. We go through myth busting, um, particularly the lie that endo doesn't affect those in menopause and the research on early menopause and endometriosis and kind of what that means for those of us who haven't yet gone through menopause how menopause can affect endometriosis symptoms, plus the general symptoms that can occur with menopause and why. And we talk about how to improve your experience of menopause and reduce your symptoms. And let me tell you, there are so, so many options. And I think even though there are some um, 
you know, there are some stats that you might find concerning in this episode. Susan is so reassuring because she just shows us how many options there are to manage menopause, but to have a good menopause, um, it doesn't have to be this horror story that, you know, we're told it is. So this isn't a topic we've ever covered before. I'm very excited to cover it for the first time. And I hope that is one of many because we have lots of different listeners of lots of different ages um, and early menopause is something that we need to be aware of. So I will let Susan do the talking from now. Uh, here's the episode. So Susan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I feel like it's been a long time coming. We have so much history. You kind of brought me into the coaching world. So it's great to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And for those who, you know, aren't familiar with your work, could you introduce yourself and the work that you do in the world? Uh, yes. <clears throat> I am a physical therapist by trade, and I'm also a, a, a women's health and wellness coach. And my work that I do um, is, is twofold. Um, I work with women who have GI issues around menopause and perimenopause. Mm. But it also translates into women with GI issues also have longstanding health conditions. So it's kind of morphed into I work with people with longstanding health conditions and help them find joy and management back in their life again and uh, you know, you know, capture the the essence of their life and return them, help them return themselves back to who they are in spite of what they may be dealing with. And, you know, the overwhelm is real, as you know. Mm-hmm. And being able to to work with people in that manner has been a great privilege. I also work with healthcare professionals uh, to silence their inner critic and step out of imposter syndrome and return to the healers that they've always wanted to be. I'm so, smiling because um, I feel is, like I need that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we all do. We all yeah. live with our <laughs> – we all have a judge. And the judge is not friendly to us. The judge mm-hmm. is, you know, and we all have like little saboteurs that come in and tell us all these lies all the time and we get stuck in that. And so I think, you know, as as people dealing with chronic conditions, people dealing with long-term issues, people dealing with them, people working with them in the healthcare industry, all of us need to, you know, feel good and to uh, be able to step into the roles that we have with um, much more of a sage brain rather than a judge and saboteur brain. So I Mm. like to work with people to find that oxytocin and serotonin and joy hormones that we need again and, you know, find our path through our life a little bit better. That sounds amazing. I'm I'm kind of learning more about you (laughs) just from this this, um, call. So that sounds incredible. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to be talking about endometriosis and menopause and I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you're coming on to talk about this because I we've never talked about this on the podcast before and I think that menopause is finally getting the you know awareness that it deserves but even you know I'm 34 I'm turning 35 in a couple of weeks and it's still not on my radar enough. And I feel like I need to be more educated about it. Even as a women's health coach, it it kind of feels crazy. I mean, my head is full of endo and SIBO, but still I'm so kind of thirsty for this knowledge. So really happy to, to have you here to talk about this. Um, so let's dive in with 
actually, let's start with what's kind of a definition of a natural menopause and how does that kind of differ from what we see with endometriosis, which might be like uh, medically induced menopause and the surgically induced menopause? Right, right. And that's a great, great uh, place to start from. The definition of menopause is simply being without your period for one full year. Mm-hmm. That is when they will say that you have crossed from perimenopause transition into full menopause. And so when you are without your period for a full year, natural menopause, then you are definitely a menopausal woman. And it, I think the term menopause has gotten a really bad rap mm. because, you know, everybody associates it with such negative things. That's a cr- cross-cultural problem, you know, right? Yeah, and yeah. a female problem as well, or a cisgendered problem. <clears throat> and, you know, we learned, we lived without estrogen in the early part of our life. All women do. We don't start pumping estrogen until we start turning into our reproductive years. And then at the end, when we're no longer going to be in reproductive years, our brains and our body has to learn to live without it again. So it's we can think about the and the the part about menopause is really pretty stable. Women live decades in the in the postmenopause years. Mm-hmm. Decades are very stable. It's the time of, you know, in many cultures, it's a time where women step into their true wisdom, mainly because they don't care about other things that they used to care about when they were younger but it's it's a it's a it's a very stable time and people associate menopause with a very unstable time it's perimenopause it's really more of the transition zone mm-hmm. and that's where we experience a lot of the symptoms that people you know really uh are frightened of or worried about which is the night sweats and the hot flashes and the insomnia and the brain forgetting things and the body changing the periods can become very heavy and hard and they can become very light and sparse and there's never a predicted you know prediction which a lot of women at that time in perimenopause will turn from uh, going without, you know, any support to like even maybe something, you know, to help stabilize them to something like the IUD, the Marina IUD, or one of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Some people will even look to uh, doing some hormone replacement therapy during this time. Um, the research has shown that hormone replacement therapy for menopause is really very helpful near the end of perimenopause and into the first part of menopause. So that's when it does the most good. After that, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose, Um, you know, as far as protecting of bones and protection of heart and and things like that. So, and like I say, many women live very, very long in menopause without any support. They eat well, they exercise, they move, you know, and they find joy in their life. And and the new phase of their life is very freeing Mm -hmm. because many of them are starting to do things they've always wanted to do and never really had time to do when they were (laughs) raising families or working very hard or doing all of those things at once. The difference between natural menopause and medical or surgical menopause, and we'll talk about those two a little bit separately, is that medical or surgical menopause thrusts you into menopause immediately. So there's never a transition. It's an all or nothing. You either are making, you know, your androgen hormones or you're not. And there's, you know, with that. So they either take Lupron or some of the other things that are out there to silence their hormone producing machines. Mm-hmm. And that thrusts them into 
menopause, or they um, have surgery and remove their uterus and their ovaries, thus thrusting them into menopause immediately. And so there's never a time of transition. There's never a time of body learning to cope. It's, you know, taking somebody who is, you know, it's almost like a withdrawal, mm. you know, instead of having the slow withdrawal and, you know, the being able to like learn to live without the estrogen and the, project, you know, and the stuff, yeah. um, they're, they're thrust into it. And so oftentimes the symptoms are quite severe in the beginning because it is, it's like falling off a cliff, like yeah. first you're here and then you're here. And the, the idea behind it is that, you know, if we if we do a hysterectomy and overectomy, or if we medically induce the stopping of the production of, of the androgen hormones, that our symptoms of, of endometriosis will go away. Mm. And I know there's a lot of chatter out there about, if I can just get to menopause, I'll feel so much better. <laughs> and it's like, you know, there's so much more that we know about pain mm -hmm. that Sometimes we, even when the lesions are gone, we mm -hmm. still have pain, you know, because pain is, is uh, you know, part of the protective mechanism of the brain. And this, the nerves get sensitized throughout this whole process. And so sometimes removing the culprit doesn't always lend itself to an immediate change. You know, it's not A plus B equals C. And so you remove B. Yeah, it's yeah. more of a A plus C and D added by and divided to, <laughs> you know, so you move, remove one of those things, the endolesions, but this pain may still persist. Mm -hmm. And in, in the idea of menopause, when we lose all of our androgens, or don't lose them, but when we, we have a substantial, substantial decrease of our androgens, um, that can lead to a lot of nerve sensitization too. So we can right. have, still have pelvic pain. We can have a slowing of our GI system. So if you already have those symptoms in endo, then they may even kind of be magnified, especially mm -hmm. in the perimenopause and sometimes into the menopause years there because it's natural slowing of the GI system. The nerves do become a little sensitive. The pelvic pain issue is interesting because the thing that happens in our in, in the tissue in our pelvic floor is that it begins to thin, much like our skin begins to thin and our muscles begin to, you know, we don't have the same uh, type of muscle fiber anymore, which is why weightlifting and exercise, you don't have to exercise heavy, but good exercise every day is very helpful for people mm -hmm. um, in this stage. But the, the pelvic floor, the muscles thin. And so that can make, um, you know, pain with sex, another, another change, you know, or pain with insertion, yeah. you know, it, it could, it may not be because of, you know, because I have endo or adenomyosis or any of those things or fibroids, but it could be because the tissues are now thinning. Yeah. And, you know, when we have a thinning of the veil between the bladder, the urethra and the vagina, we have changes that begin to happen in our uh, pH levels. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to get yeast infections. It's easy to get more bladder infections. And so we do have, we have those things that that's the biggest thing in menopause that most women complain of is vaginal dryness and vaginal pain, you know, and those are things that um, can be dealt with quite nicely. We just have to know what they are and make sure that that's what they are. Mm -hmm. So it's always important to get your screenings and everything done, <clears throat> make sure we're not dealing with something different and um, be able to get the right treatment for that. I guess when you are kind of thrust into menopause from something like Lupron or, um, you know, a hysterectomy, that's a lot that often isn't 
kind of explained to a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. all of the different things. And suddenly you're recovering from a surgery or new medication and you're hit with all of these, these symptoms that you haven't, like you said, had kind of years to prepare for and, and learn about. Um, and, you know, you hit upon some really good points there. Um, you know, when I work with endometriosis clients, I'm looking at so many different angles of what could be contributing to their pain and, and the other associated symptoms of endo. Mm -hmm. And there is still this myth that you, you know, you reduce the hormones dramatically or, or you take the uterus and ovaries away and that's all going to go. But, you know, we know that with surgeries, um, especially like a, a major surgery like that, there's like an 80 to 100% chance of adhesion formation, which like mm -hmm. often isn't talked about. And so adhesions are so, you know, so powerful and cause so much pain. Um, and then there's like the, you know, the interstitial cystitis, which could be caused by a lot of different things. I had um, one uh, one friend of mine, she, she went through with a hysterectomy for, she had a lot going on. It wasn't kind of solely for the endometriosis, she had other conditions. Um, and she's got really bad bladder pain. And she said, oh, the surgeon said that the bladder pain was from the endo and it would be gone. But it's, you know, it's not. So I think that mm -hmm. there's this, this still this, this kind of prevalent myth. Um, and it's really important to think about, well, what's the nervous system doing? And is the gut impacting on pelvic pain? Mm -hmm. And, you know, are your cortisol levels messed up, which they probably are. And is that affecting like, mm -hmm. your inflammation levels? Mm -hmm. So I think that makes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, the research is indicating that there may be a chance of early natural, earlier natural menopause with endometriosis. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. That's interesting that you brought that up because um, there is, you know, it would be, we think we're like on the right path with endo with, you know, changing diets and, and, you know, all, all of these things are helpful, mm -hmm. but there's still so much about endo that we don't know. Yeah. And we're learning every day. And the underlying cause of, you know, the underlying factor of the nervous system, I think is such a key component in here um, and how everything works together and oftentimes is ignored. Like mm -hmm. let's remove the end, you know, let's do excision surgery and remove everything. And then, like you say, then, then there's an agency of protection around the area where all of that has happened and the nervous system kind of like goes crazy <laughs> and that contributes so much to the cortisol level changes into mm. uh, you know um norepinephrine epinephrine adrenaline responses that all drive the gi system down right and then yeah. the gi system can't make serotonin which as we know is the is the is the happy juice for the brain the brain needs serotonin to make decisions mm -hmm. to be able to move forward you know to connect the dots and so all of those things together and this is what's really interesting about endometriosis and early menopause because it goes, it flies in the face of what we thought we knew about endometriosis. Because the women who are the most at risk for early menopause are those women who are nulliparous, never had a child. Right. Are those women who also had no birth control. Okay. What? So that's we me. <laughs> that's literally me. <laughs> But there's like, but you're not alone. You're not alone. And but what, what does that say? That should we put women with endometriosis on birth control? Right, right, you know yeah. what? You know is that is that going to change the risk? How do we like even look for that? Or how do we even mm -hmm. research that? How do we yeah. even set up a study for that? So and it's interesting because 
women who are on birth control for long periods of time and come off of it, it may have done some, them some good, masking some of their symptoms and helping them. But when they come off of it, there's that kind of rebound effect yeah, yeah. that's really high and can also make them feel like their symptoms are worse than ever. And you know, the and part of the problem is um, birth control pills tends to drive up the sex hormone binding globulin, which mm. limits the amount of testosterone and some of the other things that can be made. And that can really drive libido low, can heighten pain, you know, can do some of those things. So now we're sitting in this situation. What do we do? Do we worry about early menopause or do we take birth control pills and maybe hope we don't worry about early menopause? I mean, you know, we have no way of knowing yet. But I think the most important thing is to understand what early menopause means. And so when we think about natural menopause that's generally starting to occur you know we people will say from 35 to 55 is the transition okay. zone where people fall in it who knows yeah you know most people are moving into menopause in their early 50s some a little bit in their later 50s but mm. you know that's that's the time of year early menopause is going to be moving into menopause a year without periods remember is the definition of menopause probably into their 40s okay so that's where we would you know where we would start to see that and that the, the shorter your reproductive years um the one thing that is thought to be a truism at this point in time. Of course, the more we learn about the microbiome and epigenetics and things like this down the road could all very well change. But the truism right now that's out there is that if we have limited reproductive years, then it's it's harder on our bodies in the menopausal years. We're more susceptible to osteoporosis, um, you know, to uh, autoimmune disorders and to even, you know, especially people with endo uh, for ovarian cancer. Right. So something, so this is why the best thing to do is to have knowledge about it and know that, okay, these are my time. This is my time. I need to really be sure I'm eating the right foods mm -hmm. to build my bone bank that I'm getting, even if I don't feel good. What is, what, can I do some Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga? Can I do something that's a little bit weight bearing, you know, that I don't have to go do high intensity interval training. I'm not telling anybody to do that yeah. if they don't want to, <laughs> but, you know, but need to move, you know, we need yeah. to, you know, and, and we need to be sure we're getting our screenings done. Mm, yeah. You know, natural stuff is great. Natural healing is lovely and beautiful and there's so much good to it, but we do have, the opportunity to make sure that we're getting pap smears and we're getting our screenings and things done that we need to be doing so that we don't, you know, kind of fall into this category of, I didn't know that mm. I should have done that. I didn't know that this was possible. And autoimmune things, you know, that, that can come up. Menopause is a natural time for an autoimmune switch to, to, oh, to okay. click on because of the transition. Yeah. So women have more opportunities in transition zones than, than their counterparts. And so these are the times. So when we when we first start our periods, you know that there's, uh, you know, there that's when oftentimes endo will show up for young mm -hmm. girls, mm -hmm. and ignored and missed, painful periods, headaches, migraines, and more susceptible to things like mono. Right. You know, and then you know as we kind of move through into our young adult life, um, that's when some of those things like MS, you know, and 
and uh, RA, and those generally occur in the transition zone after pregnancy. Right. Yeah. You know, in the course. postpartum years, because it's kind of a it's a transition time, and it's a time when those switches turn on, and you know, thyroid, Hashimoto's, and Graves also kind of come in through that time. Well, menopause is another time that that happens. Mm-hmm. So, women that are going through menopause earlier are at more of a risk of some of those turning on. Okay. So they need to be, you know. So if you're having a lot of inflammatory problems, it'd be wise to get some screenings done and see what the, you know, sed rates are and inflammatory markers are, as well as, you know, watching out for any kind of things that are a little bit strange, like Mm -hmm. really unusual fatigue, um, weakness, uh, you know, those types of things. And, you know, because thyroid conditions are huge at that time. But so can be, you know, lupus. It's oftentimes people will, a genetic marker postpartum or into menopause will turn on the switch for celiac disease. So maybe you could eat that stuff before and now you can't eat it and yeah. it's okay. It doesn't mean that you because, did anything wrong. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. My, my brother and my sister have celiac disease and I, I haven't got it yet, but typically I, I avoid gluten because of my end. Yeah. It just makes my endo feel worse. And, and my, I have so many gut problems, Absolutely. it helps. But um, now I'm like, oh, I escaped it. I do have the genes. So I, I do have the genes for it to develop. I've got the double. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. it can be it's it's also very interesting when we talk about something like celiac because yes if if you have celiac you're never going to eat gluten again mm. that you know and so people oftentimes especially people with chronic diseases and i don't want to call it disease chronic conditions you know mm. um like like endometriosis that that need to be managed over time often aren't eating gluten mm. and therefore mm. don't know that they have yeah. celiac yeah. because if you're not eating gluten, you're not going to be floating the antibodies around in your bloodstream for them to, you know, medically test. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you want to know, you're going to have to go eat some gluten and then go get tested and see yeah. what happens. Which is rough. But for most, I mean, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> for most people, they just kind of like, ah, I'm just going to do without it. But we don't know how much is in our food. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gets down to natural healing for and natural ways to cope with, you know, these symptoms and these ideas here is, you know, first of all, be aware that early menopause, you know, we want to have good bone health. You want to, you know, make sure you stay on top of your screenings um, because we're at a little bit more of risk if we go through menopause earlier. And this is why oftentimes with medical um, and surgical menopause, if it's not for endo, if somebody needs to have their uterus and ovaries removed for some other reason, <clears throat> they'll put them on HRT right away, hormone replacement therapy. But endo, the idea is like, 
do we want to go on HRT right, and start yeah. bringing the estrogen levels back up? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and what kind of estrogen is it? And I think that's another area that we need to be um, much more vigilant about, but also ask a lot of questions. So some of the research out there, and it's very limited research, is talking about that a topical estrogen, you know, um, and a and a bioidentical estrogen are much more well tolerated for clients with endometriosis and menopause, okay. or moving through menopause than the ones that are the you know um, pill form. Mm. So they're made out of different stuff. Some of the bioidenticals are more plant based, and therefore just different. The the body interprets them differently and changes them. But I think the other thing to recognize is just because our estrogen levels are going down, doesn't mean that we're not still producing estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. And endo has its opportunity to make its own hormones. Yeah. Yeah. So we have metabolites running around in the system now that are probably way more way more important to think about for causing inflammation than natural or topical estrogen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's the estrogen metabolites that we need to worry about probably more than the fact that we have, you know, estrogen because even if we remove the uh, the estrogen producing ovaries, um the the endo's still going to make its own hormones. Yeah. It's still yeah. going to do this. This is why endo doesn't go away at menopause mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. often and sometimes and in some ways endo actually starts to present itself after menopause and about two percent mm, yeah, of the women out there about this yeah mm-hmm. so very interesting yeah it's really interesting because i i met a doctor um randomly once i i don't even know how we started getting talk talking and his wife was was there and um they were asking what we what i did and i explained and then he was like, oh, you used to have that. And I was like, oh, you know, how are you now? She was like, fine. I was like, oh, how, you know, what did you do? And she was like, oh, I went through menopause. And I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, you know, you can't, you, endo goes away after menopause. And I was like, mm-hmm. at the time I was working for Endometriosis UK. So I was like, well, actually, but he just like mm-hmm. very, like, he just kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Like, no, like mm-hmm. it goes away at menopause. But I mean, people, of course, it could have just not been diagnosed during the earlier years, but people are still getting diagnosed, mm-hmm. you know, in menopause yeah. with endo. So I think that's an, that's another myth. It is a myth. And I think those are the things we need to kind of guard against is pigeonholing, you know, all of these like long COVID or, you know, any of these other, you know, long lasting kinds of conditions that the, the, you know, the ignoring of things are just making these assumptions and pigeonholing, like you just need to do this and you'll be fine is, is a dismissal of really aiming us to really ask these strong questions, kind of like, am I at risk for early menopause? And what does that mean? And how come if she's taking birth control pills, she won't have it. And I chose not to, because I heard all these things about hormonal birth control pills. And have I done myself, you know, we need to ask those questions we need to keep asking those questions so that they'll keep looking at it yeah because we won't you know find you know we won't find the things until we keep you know asking questions that people think we're crazy about (laughs) so you know we're not crazy we're just curious oh I love that (laughs) and I think that that's what you know I'd love to say and this is one of the things that I love about the endometriosis community worldwide is the you know the the 
community, but the level of curiosity that keeps coming, you know, the questions that keep coming and keep coming and it drives, it drives interventions. It does, you know, looking at things naturally, how do we ease the symptoms of menopause naturally for somebody with endo Mm -hmm. who is going to already have heavy periods or, or, you know, painful periods and, and, you know, joint pain and other issues, bloating and GI stuff. You know, we want to be sure that we're getting the GI system supported because that's what's going to support the nervous system. And we need to make sure the nervous system is supported because we want to invite the GI system to come back onto the, you know, come back onto the playing field here. And we want the GI system making serotonin, but we also want to be sure that we don't have a lot of problems of constipation because we are not able to get rid of our estrogen metabolites Mm -hmm. if we're not moving them through the GI system the way we're supposed to. Yeah. So that's kind of one of those things. And so how do we get rid of estrogen metabolites? Well, there's some natural things that we can do that I think are very helpful. And one of them, of course, is just movement, Mm -hmm. Um, eating good cruciferous vegetables, because that drives a better type of estrogen Mm -hmm. in our bodies rather than the, the type of estrogen that doesn't make us feel good. Um, and, you know, supporting the GI system as naturally as we possibly can. And then, but there's a couple of other things too, that I think people can, can do. That's a lot of fun. One of them is dry brushing. So there's some simple things we can do. I love dry brushing. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm, well, it, it, it stimulates the, the lymphatic system, which is the system that takes out the trash. Mm. So, you know, from the blood supply. So the, the, the lymph system sits side by side with the little capillaries and the blood cells go through and it pulls in all the little junky junk out of the blood comes into the lymph cells and then they move into the bigger lymph nodes and then the lymph nodes moves it into the bigger lymph lymph system and then that moves it into you know to the GI system and out it goes so we have a we have a whole system for removing this stuff and we never think about stimulating it Mm -hmm. and you know so dry brushing is absolutely fantastic plus it's a nice way to exfoliate your skin and and bring blood supply to your skin and make your skin look a little bit more glowing and healthy but all you have to do is just get a towel stand next to your shower or bathtub and you can buy the dry brushes on Amazon. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. You know, yeah. all the little beauty spa stores have them. You just need that. It's their nice, soft, dry bristles and you just brush towards your heart. Mm-hmm. So there's no special way to do it. You just brush towards your heart and all of, all of your body, like your feet, legs, everything brush up towards your heart, stomach, belly, back, shoulders, hands, everything brush towards your heart neck brush down towards your heart mm-hmm. and it takes about five minutes it's easy to do and then you hop in the shower and it's wonderful but yeah. it's such a natural easy thing to do that can just make you feel so much better almost immediately um and another thing too is like i i know uh people in the uk are way better at this than Americans are, this? but you usually have tea at some point in your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tea we is do. a staple. Yeah. <laughs> well, milk thistle is a different kind of tea because it's a little bit creamier and thicker, but it's a wonderful way to also, it really helps with estrogen removal. Mm. And do you, is tea like enough versus a supplement generally? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah great. I, I like I like teas and extracts much better than I like supplements because supplements are put into powder form. Yeah. And the reason that they're put into powder form is because it's much more cost effective and they can, there can be a bigger dispersal of it. Whenever you can do extracts or um, fresh, 
mm-hmm. you know, or teas, I think you're going to get the essence of the this the stuff a little bit better okay. into your system. I like that. So okay. have a spot of milk thistle tea mm-hmm. in your afternoon tea. So those can be some fun things to do. Um, also, some other cool things that that work really well. You know, they talk about phytoestrogens and is that safe for women with endo? Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about phytoestrogens, we're not talking about the level of estrogenic effects that food and stuff can give us. So I don't think that it's something to like be afraid of because there's so many good things around some phytoestrogens and think about which ones they are that can be super helpful for us. And one of them is ground flaxseed. Mm. You know, that's considered a phytoestrogen, but the flaxseed and the the essence from the flaxseed when you grind it is a beautiful support mechanism for the for the colon wall. And that can be very, very helpful in healing and and soothing the the wall of the colon. Now, if you've got a really upset GI system, you probably don't want to go put a ton of ground flaxseed in there, but you might want to start with just a little bitty bit of it, like an eighth of a teaspoon and work your way up slowly. Vitamin E and vitamin C are both, you know, supportive for the system. Vitamin E is really nice for just the whole body and for the Mm -hmm. bones. Vitamin C um, helps our immune system. Mm. and supports our immune system and um but some of the other things that you'll find in some supplements out there and when you can get them in extract form versus powder form okay. it's a little bit more helpful but i think everybody's heard of black cohash yes and black cohash is so helpful with hot sweats and night oh really and, you know, i didn't know that and hot flashes yeah it's also a very it's, it's helpful for sleep mm-hmm. but it's also helpful for mood which is very interesting. So if you think about maybe black cohash, maybe some magnesium to get your GI system soothed and going Mm -hmm. is also going to support your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Because if they're going to be mood enhancers, they're going to really help calm that nervous system so that we're not living with our judge and saboteurs telling us all these negative things about ourselves all the time. We can kind of begin to silence that noise over there and start finding out to do, you know, the things that we can do that are, that are fun. And then, you know, the leafy green vegetables, we can't say enough about them because they're just such a big piece of vitamin D and calcium, you know, for our systems. And I know in the UK, you guys are at much risk, like there's parts of the United States too, where it's really cloudy all the time. Yeah. Um, We need to make sure that our vitamin D levels are good Mm. and vitamin D3 pills are fine. Supplements are fine. Um, Pair them with K2. So that Mm -hmm. because that helps them bind to the tissues and the bones better, Um, but also getting them in your food. And so some of the best ways for vitamin D is those leafy green vegetables. If you don't like to chew them, if you can't eat raw vegetables, blend them up, cook them. Yeah, put them in a smoothie. Grill them. Yeah, Yeah. do do something. Be ingenious. And then, um, you know, and then any of your uh, uh, fish. You know, like salmon and and fish like that also has all of that good stuff in there. And that can just be, you know, really, really quite nice for the system. And it's really helpful to the system. And unfortunately, at the time of moving into menopause, because our GI system slows down and because we're inflamed, we tend to have weight gain. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people turn away from the very foods that they really should be eating and they start doing things like you know, maybe too much fasting and they're not getting enough of the vital things in. And so it starts, you know, if we're not getting the right stuff in, we're going to start kind of turning on ourselves on the inside. So it's better to 
eat some things that are good for us and move than it is to to restrict and pull away because that just makes the system hold on to the weight even harder. Right. Yeah. Because evolutionary evolutionary wise, if we start, you know, if we're living in a, uh, a famine environment, you know, we're going to we're not going to we're going to hold on to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we're living in a, in a an environment where we know everything is great and there's plentiful, then you you know you're not going to hold on to stuff anymore. It's going to all go away mm-hmm. because you don't need it. You don't need to hold on to it like that. So our brains, that that nervous system that you were talking about, that underlies all of this stuff, starts to sense that the body's in danger. You know, and it's the body's not in danger. It's going through transition, but that's how that part of the nervous system interprets it. It becomes very protective. So we do have more pain. We do have a slowing of the GI system because now that system, the run from the tiger system is ramping up along with all of the other symptoms that we're having. So it drives that nighttime insomnia. You know, it tells us that, you know, the, the, the hot flashes are, are even worse than they are mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, that there's all of these things that are going on. And, and so that system starts, you know, ramping up and that drives weight gain. Cause it, you know, we did, cause the only way we can keep that system going is to eat foods that are going to probably cause us to gain weight, which is going to be sugar and yeah. processed foods in, in, in this culture. Yeah. And yeah. it's not a matter of willpower. I'd love, to, I'd love for women to understand that if you can't give up sugar, it's not willpower. Mm-hmm. Sugar is a drug. It's just like, it's like so addictive. But that part of your brain is calling for it and it will overrun the rest of your brain in order to get it. Yeah. So it's not about willpower. Don't deny it. Just start, put the good stuff in first, crowd out the sugar by eating the good stuff first. Mm-hmm. If you have to have some sugar, then go ahead. Mm-hmm. But don't like make yourself so restrictive because now you're living in famine with a nervous system that's like, you know, rolling on fire and it's going to be very, very hard. And it mm-hmm. also makes us grumpy. So <laughs> and we don't want to be grumpy. <laughs> so I think, you know, kind of just, you know, looking at things in much more kind of a balance, I think really helps um, move through easier than looking at all or nothing, all or nothing, all or nothing. Yeah. You know, if I do this and this will change, if I do this and this will change. And it's actually though, if we just keep working on the foundational pieces, the rest of it will be smoother and easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of backpedaling a little bit and, but obviously, you know, you've explained people with endometriosis, we tend to have high levels of inflammation. It's an inflammatory disease. Mm-hmm. We have gut issues. We already have like pelvic floor issues, but what would make someone's, you know, transition into menopause or those early years of menopause, like worse? Like why would their symptoms, because some you can, you can speak to some people and they're like, oh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that bad. And then some people find mm-hmm. it horrific. Is there, are there things that could be kind of put, like fuel in that? It's again, it's different for everybody, which is mm-hmm. one of those things we just don't know. So why do some people have much more insulin, insulin, you know, resistance in perimenopause and other this other group of people do not? Mm-hmm. Why do some people have terrible, terrible hot flashes and vasomotor symptoms where other people do not? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, we, we don't really know. We just know that those are everybody's got their own kind of um 
molecular structure that responds to these types of things in different ways. So the best thing is to, when you have that, is to figure out, okay, maybe I need to, to um, do some exercise. You know, research has shown that exercise helps, you know, helps bring those vasomotor symptoms down. You know, we're talking about vascular response, the hot flashes and the night sweats. Um, It actually helps change those. So there's something very, you know, what are you eating? Do you notice hot flashes after you eat? Mm-hmm, <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. there are some foods that are contributing to the symptoms that can lessen them and make them more tolerable as you as your body learns to live yeah. without, you know, with these hormonal changes that are going on. And the other thing is, is that sometimes in some people, in particularly people with endometriosis, perhaps there's a little bit more of a volatile situation hormonal wise there anyway, because yeah. of just the nature of endo. And so that can mean for, you know, people with endo, they may have a, a higher pronouncement of symptoms because they're already kind mm-hmm. of, you know, there's the, the touchstone is already there, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not going from, I feel really good to all of a sudden one day I feel really bad. They're going from, I have this up and down all the time. And now I've got these ups and downs and they're bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes you know, sense. as they go through it and that, you know, but that's also the gift in all of this. That's a time when we can, if you haven't been paying close attention and you haven't really made some switchovers in some of your health habits and daily habits and, and things that you can do for yourself and finding joy in your life is just as important as yeah. not eating sugar, maybe more important. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the time it shines a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, Okay. I really need to, I need to do radical self-care now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. instead of just playing at it. I need to like really get serious about this a little bit. And again, self-care does not mean restricting, mm. you know, I think what we, what we eat is not almost just isn't as important as how we eat, you know, chew your food, don't eat on the go. Don't grab stuff that, you know, is bad for you. You know, like really, you know, if you, if you need to move and you hate the gym, don't go to the gym, you know, <laughs> I don't go to find gym. something I else, it's, it's, you know, find something else that you like to do. Movement is movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put it in balance. Is there a better time of day for you to move? You know, what is it that you're, you know, are you drinking a tea? Are you drinking a a caffeinated tea that's making your bladder pain worse? Mm -hmm. You know, just because you think you have to have it. Why do you need to have that caffeine? What's Mm -hmm. happening? You know, can we get your sleep better? Can you do some meditation, which is really helpful and hypnosis, which can be very helpful. But if you don't like any of that, research is starting to also show that people are less depressed if they listen to soothing music, particularly at this time. Oh, wow. That's so I know, interesting. Right? Soothing music. How hard is that? Yeah. Everybody's got music on their phone. Yeah, Reach yeah. over, grab it, and turn it on. <laughs> That's so, so, so interesting. So there's clearly, yeah. it's like, it's the kind of same with endometriosis, right? We're told if you are going down the conventional route, I mean, I've had this happen to me. It's what led me down my path. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was like 24. I couldn't take every kind of birth control option I tried just made me suicidal, basically. I just felt Mm -hmm. awful. And there were a couple that I couldn't have because of medical conditions. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't have um, like severe endometriosis. I didn't have an endometrioma. You know, I was like phase one or two. Um, And so it wasn't that it was... um, you know, doing me kind of actual damage in terms of it wasn't growing into organs. Um, 
I had this superficial endo, but I just had all of the symptoms under the sun. And the doctor said to me, mm -hmm. well, you know, there's nothing we can do. They wanted to, they wanted to do a medically induced menopause. But I was like, what's the, but it's not growing aggressively. What's the point? I'm swapping mm -hmm. one set of symptoms for the others. But had I not, you know, gone away and done that research, I would have never known that there were options out there. And I think that's kind of the mm -hmm. same until like perimenopause or menopause hits you. You don't, really think that there are options for management so you just think it's like doom and gloom and you kind of grow up dreading it and and kind of like blocking your ears of like <laughs> you don't mm -hmm. want to know yep. but it sounds like there are so many ways to to manage 100 and i love that and again i love the idea of just you know re you know re-scripting what we think you know instead of looking at people with with endo as somehow being less than a person mm. or you know that poor soul over there i i like to look at them as as gifts you know these people have taught people with endo have taught me so much so mm -hmm. much about how I work as a practitioner and how I change and how I interact with communities and and like I said you know the questions that we're asking are so important yeah. and we need a larger voice and you know the the endo community is gi is gigantic and it is driving these changes which is really nice because people now are starting to look at wow you know this is changing over here and this is changing over here and before nobody knew what it was and now even in the United States we have a a group that's a school nurse program that puts in, gets information into the hands of school nurses so that when kids yeah. are missing school because of their periods, they're going to start asking questions. Have you looked into this? You know, have you taken your child to somebody besides the pediatrician mm -hmm. you know, to see what's wrong here? That it's, this could be, you know, a sign or symptom of something else. It's not normal. And, you know, and, and to, you know, the, which is why I appreciate you so much bringing up the story when they said, oh, well, when you menopause, you're just, you're fine. And it's like, if we don't keep asking these questions, people are going to be still feeling very badly during this period of their life mm -hmm. and being told that there's nothing wrong with them and that's that's not how we want to be as a society I think yeah. I think we want to hear and we want to support and we want to be in you know increase awareness and help people see that as you said that there are many options out there mm -hmm. and all of them together are going to help promote your health not just one thing mm -hmm. just really considering all the different options that are going to be right for you yeah, absolutely. Well, Susan, this has been fascinating and I feel like I could keep talking. Like I said, I'm still <laughs> learning about this. So there's so much I want to ask. Mm -hmm. But um, where can people find your work? How can they work with you? How can they get in touch? So um, everybody can get in touch with me at Susan at LTI, Learn, Think, Innovate, Physio, um, dot com. So it's LTIphysio.com. Mm -hmm. That's my website, and there's I have a an opt-in that has some general things about menopause on there, um, but also you can find the link on my website to a discovery call with me and just hop on and we'll get on a call and see if we're a good fit for each other. That sounds amazing. I, I feel like you need to write a book or something. It would be amazing. <laughs> and I'm, I feel I'm going to download your, uh, your opt-in just to, to read about it, especially... I didn't know that I had, you know, I didn't know that I kind of fall into that category for increased risk. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of things showed up for for my nan and my mum with like hyperthyroidism and stuff. 
And so far I've been mm-hmm. like, oh, I've avoided that, but I need to be a bit more mindful, I guess, going into those years and, and looking for those signs. So thank you for making me aware. That's really helpful. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. And to you and your listeners, I wish everybody the best. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Music